Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. It is a Sunday morning. You wake up and you feel like, man, you're coming down with a cold or maybe you have a touch of the flu. And so you send your family on to church and you stay home. Well, you start feeling a little bit better and it's getting about 11 o'clock and so you think, I'll just go catch a service on the television. And so you go in and you get yourself a cup of coffee and you sit in your recliner and you're thinking, man, this is more comfortable than that church pew I usually sit on. And you got your PJs on and you think, man, I, I, I like this, I can get used to this. And then you turn on the television, and man, this beautiful choir comes on, and they're singing this Christian hymn, and it just makes your heart just sore. And you're thinking, man, I wish our choir at church sounded like that. Mm. And then this soloist comes out, and oh, it does such a great job. And you're thinking, man, I hadn't heard somebody sing like that, and I don't know how long. So after about 15 minutes of singing, this Preacher comes out, and oh, he's got his hair just fixed just right, and, and he smiles, and his teeth sparkle, and he's got this nice suit on, and you're thinking, now, he's a good-looking man. And then he starts preaching, and you think, man, that, he's got a good voice. And he, he says, God told me this week, stop praying for money. I've given you the authority To claim prosperity in my name. And you kind of perk up because things have been kind of tight financially for you. And and you're thinking, now, I kind of like that. You know, I never heard my preacher say anything like that. In fact, I've been attending Baptist churches for 40 years and I never heard them say anything like that. What's going on? And then he goes on and he says, God wants his children to have the best of everything. He wants you to wear the best clothes. He wants you to drive the best cars. He wants you to have the best of everything. You start thinking, I like this. I like that. I like a new car. That old car I got out there is about to fall apart. And he said, God wants me to have a new car. I like this. I think I'm going to listen a little more. Then the preacher says, you know what you, what you sow is what you're going to reap. He said, now what have you been sowing? He said, you know, if you sow... Apple seeds, you get an apple tree. If you sow tomato seeds, you get a tomato. Or maybe you're in poverty because you've been sowing poverty. You need to sow the right kind of seed. You need to do some seed faith sowing. You're wondering, what's he talking about? He says, you, you need to sow some money. You need to sow some seed faith money. And if you'll sow that money, then God will give you money back. The problem is you aren't sowing the right seed. You need to take a Faith vow and give money. And if you'll look on the bottom of your screen, you will see our telephone number. And we take credit cards. And you come and call and give your seed faith money. And then God will multiply the money back to you. Or you can mail it to the address you have listed on the bottom of your screen. Because God wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to have the best of everything. He's given you power to claim it in His name. You're thinking, wow, I like this. And so you pick up the phone and, and, and you make a pledge 
And, and, and you say, well, uh, uh, I can do $5. And they say, that doesn't take any faith. You've got to reach on out beyond that. And you say, oh, well, uh, maybe $10. No, you've got to go beyond. You've got to sow the faith. What about $100? Oh, okay, yeah, do $100. Put it on my card. And you start getting books. You start giving. You find yourself kind of staying home a little more and a little more. Because this is exciting. You like this. I mean, you know, he's not preaching about you're a sinner and you need to repent. He's not saying, Jesus said, let him who desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. He's not talking about any of that. Your old preacher says that. But this guy's talking about God wants me to have everything. That I can speak my own reality. I can determine my future. Well, how do you know if this preacher you're listening to is a false teacher or not? I mean, Jude warns us that there is a great danger of false teachers. And God gives us the answer in the book of Jude. And take your Bibles, turn over to the book of Jude. It's the last book in the Bible before Revelation, which is the last book. Jude gives us three characteristics of false teachers. He's saying that we must put these teachers that we're listening to, that we're reading their books, we must put them to the test and see if they indeed pass the test. Five times in this short 25 verse book, he gives these three characteristics. Now that tells me something. If God repeats something five times in 25 verses, he expects me to pay attention. Because God knows the first law of learning is repetition. You remember those multiplication tables? How'd you learn those? Saying them over and over and over and over and over. And so God repeats and we see it for the third time today. Those characteristics. You remember first, they disbelieve God's word. Either they reject it as God's sole authority. They put something else, another book, equal or above scripture. They twist the meaning of scripture till it doesn't mean at all what God intended for it to mean. Or they disbelieve it by denying that Jesus was God come in the flesh. Second characteristic is they reject God's authority. They lack a reverential fear of God, or they resist or reject the delegated authorities that God's placed in His order of creation. And then thirdly, they indulge fleshly desires. They have extravagant lifestyles, or they're involved in sexual immorality, or other lustful things. And here... In our passage today, we once again see these three characteristics coming out. We are looking in Jude. We're looking at verses 8 through 10. Stand in respect for the Word of God and let me read. Yet, in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority 
and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, he did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. You may be seated. The first characteristic is they disbelieve God's word. He says that they are dreamers by dreaming. Actually, in the Greek, that phrase is dreaming ones. And by the same way, these men dream. They are dreamers. The false teachers claim to have visions and dreams from God. And they disbelieve God's word in that they place these dreams and these visions at equal authority or above the authority of God's word. They claim that God has given them through a dream and a vision some special new revelation. And that they are to teach this revelation to the people of God. Never mind that the church for 2,000 years has not seen this revelation and God has not seen fit to reveal it, but now He has chosen to give them this new truth that they must share with Christians. Not only are they dreamers, but they are also deceivers. They say God has spoken to them when He has not spoken. They prophesy lies. Now, Jeremiah talked about these false teachers and prophets over in Jeremiah chapter 23. Now, this is a rather long passage, but I want you to pay attention because it speaks so clearly about the danger that we are facing. God is speaking. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood? Even these prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal. The, prophets who ha- the prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain? God is saying these dreams are nothing but straw. It's my word that is true substance. It's my word that is grain. It's not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declared the Lord, who use their tongue, tongues and declare. The Lord declares. The Lord told me. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and their reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them nor do they furnish this people the slightest 
benefit, declares the Lord. False teachers claim to have these dreams and these visions. And Jesus comes to them and He gives them this special knowledge, this special wisdom that they must share with God's people. And in sharing these with God's people, God said they are leading them astray. He said, it's my word. My word's fire. My word's a hammer. My word is like the true grain. These visions and dreams are nothing but straw, says the Lord. Oral Roberts, back in 1987, had a vision of a 900-foot Jesus. And he says Jesus told him that his followers needed to donate $8 million by a certain date. And if they didn't donate that money by that date, that God was going to kill all of us. So he put this message out to all of his followers. Kenneth Hagin, who is the mentor of Kenneth Copeland, he claimed that Jesus has appeared to him on eight different occasions to teach him about various subjects. And he has gone on to teach these, these teachings to millions of people. Now, in one of his eight visions, Jesus said to him, This is your angel. My angel? I ask. Yes, your angel. And if you will respond to him, he will appear to you as I will at times. And he will give you guidance and direction concerning the things of life. Never mind that we're never told in Scripture to seek angels for guidance or directions in life. Jesus told him in this vision to do that. In one of his visions, also, he was taken into heaven. Now, I heard this, heard him say this on YouTube. He was taken into heaven, into the very throne room of God. He said he looked Jesus full into the face. He said Jesus was about six feet or 5'11". Because he said they were out of Now, he needs to get with old Roberts. They need to get the story straight, don't they? Is he 900 feet or is he 6 feet or 5'11"? The Apostle Paul said he had a vision that he was taken up into the heavenly realm and he heard things that were inexpressible. He heard things that you could not even speak. They were so great. And yet, Kenneth Hagin has words that he can share about the throne room of God. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons, said the angel Moroni came to him and told him where to find the golden tablets that ended up being the Book of Mormon. Muhammad's first revelation was the event in which he says the archangel Gabriel appeared to him. And over a period of years, this angel came back and that's the foundation for the Quran. Well, does God speak through dreams and visions? I mean, there are many Muslims that are coming to Christ through dreams that Christ appears to them. 
But he never gives them any new revelation. He either tells them, go to the marketplace tomorrow, and he shows them a person to seek out, and that person will share the gospel with them. Or either he confirms to them that the Bible is his word, and they take up the Bible and they begin to read about Jesus and get saved. Paul talks about, excuse me, Peter talks about over in Acts, in the day of Pentecost. He says, and it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And here it comes. And your old men shall dream dreams. So does God speak through dreams sometimes? I believe he does. But you need to test those dreams. There won't be any new revelation. Because we've already seen, he says... Contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. It won't be contrary to the truth of God in the Bible. It won't be contrary to the character of God. Does that sound like God to you? If your people don't give $8 million, I'm going to kill you. No, that doesn't sound like the God I know. So any dream that we may think we have, we need to test it by the Word of God, by the character of God. And it is no new revelation. So the first characteristic is they disbelieve God's Word. They claim visions and dreams. Second, we see again, they indulge fleshly desires. In verse 8, In the same way, men also by dreaming defile the flesh. Now that word defile means spot or stain. Now, when it's used in conjunction with the flesh, it's referring to sexual immorality. False teachers are usually involved in sexual immorality. Now, they may hide it at first, but it tends to come creeping out. Look in verse 19 of Jude. Because these false teachers are not only defile the flesh, but they do so because they are devoid of the spirit. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. You see, these false teachers do not have the Holy Spirit, and so they are not able to contain their fleshly lust, and they end up falling into immorality. Now, sometimes Satan may keep them from this immorality to try to give them credibility, but usually not, and usually... It may be hidden, but it eventually comes out because they defile the flesh. You remember Jimmy Swaggart? I've mentioned him before. It's amazing to me. I, I've gone on the Internet to see if some of these people are still hanging around. They keep surfacing. It's amazing. They, they, it comes out that they are fornicators and, and everything else, and, and, they, and they go on the ground for a little while, but then they come back. I mean, it's like a bad penny. It just keeps coming back. I mean, Jimmy Swaggart, of course, was caught with that prostitute. You know, he, he, he cried and he confessed and everything else. A couple of years later, he was caught again with another prostitute. A couple of years later, he was caught again. Now, he happened to be caught one time because the police stopped his car. Now, how many times do you think he was with prostitutes and didn't get caught? If he happened to get caught. They don't control the flesh. Jim Baker, you remember Jessica Hahn and Jim Baker? 
Mm-hmm. Earl Polk was the leader of the International Harvester Church. No less than eight women came forward accusing him of sexual affairs. DNA proof showed that he had had an affair with his brother's wife and produced a child that he thought, well, he claimed was his nephew, but really it was his own child by his brother's wife. And, and that DNA evidence proved that. Paul Crouch of TBN, a Los Angeles Times front page in August the 31st, 2004, came out that he had had a homosexual relationship with Enoch Ford, who was a former employee of TBN. Now, Rick Jones, who was an ordained minister and former policeman, heard his boss talking about this other minister who was having a homosexual affair. He said he didn't want to hear the gossip, so he got up and left. Well, his boss was Benny Hinn, and Benny Hinn was talking about Paul Crouch and about the affair. Of course, Paul Crouch denied it. But later it came out that this Enoch Ford wrote an autobiography in which he exposed the details of this torrid affair. His lawyer approached the lawyer for TBN and said, for $10 million, you can buy the rights to this book and it will never see the light of day. They said, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. A few days later, the lawyer for TBN came back to the lawyer for uh, Enoch Ford and said, what about a million dollars? Can we buy it for that? Muhammad had 12 wives. The youngest was six years old. But he waited until she was nine to consummate the marriage. Joseph Smith was a polygamist, and the Mormon church admits all this, with no less than 33 wives. You see, they defile the flesh. They're devoid of the spirit and they cannot contain their immoral sexual urges. That's the second characteristic of false teachers. The third characteristic, they reject authority. Again, verse 8. And reject authority and revile angelic majesties. False teachers reject God's delegated authorities. We know that God has placed authority structures. He has the government, he has the church, he has the home, he has the workplace. God has clearly established an order for creation. False teachers do away with this order. They reject it and seek to nullify it. Jeremiah talks about, God says, the priests rule in their own authority. These false teachers want to be their own authority. They want to set themselves up as the authority. Earl Polk gathered a group of men together who felt they were as divinely established as he did, and they formed a new denomination, the International Communion of Charismatic Churches. And they appointed him as bishop, his own authority. Earl Polk said, No man judges a prophet. 
They put themselves up in this authority, the sole authority of the church, and you don't question me. God has spoken to me. You question me, you're questioning God. Anytime you see that kind of attitude coming from the leadership, you need to say, now wait a minute. Larry Lee, who was pastor of the church on the rock in Rockwell, Texas, set up the constitution of the church for which he remained, for the remainder of his life, has absolute authority over all committees. He cannot be fired or corrected. He has unquestioned authority. Now God's pattern in Scripture is not one man ruling all, but a group of godly men giving godly leadership to the church. But they reject authority. They place themselves as their authorities. Also, they revile angelic majesties. They revile angelic majesties. This word revile means to rail at. It means to slander. It means to show a lack of respect. Now, I want you to know that God, in His order, established angels in a certain position, and He established human beings in a certain position. Now, over in Hebrews chapter 9, we see these words. But we do see Him, and He's talking about Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for every one. Now what do we see here? The writer of Hebrews says that God, when Jesus took on humanity, became flesh, he made him a little lower than the angels. That shows me that humanity, in God's order, is lower than the angels. But these false teachers show a lack of reverence and respect and revile angels when they think they can command angels to do their bidding. They reject authority by taking their place above angels rather than their place under the angels. Kenneth Copeland teaches, when you use the word in the name of Jesus, the angels are obligated to follow your commands. His wife Gloria Copeland says, there may be as at least 40,000 angels assigned to each believer. Thus there's no shortage of angel power. And how long do you think it would take them to make you wealthy? Unfortunately, she says, for the most part, the heirs of the promise have not been using the angel power available to them. Thus your words put the angels to work on your behalf to bring to pass whatever you say. The words of your mouth bind them or loose them to work for you. This is what the Word of Faith movement is teaching. This is what these false teachers are teaching. That the angels are there to work for you. Is that what the Bible says? The Scripture clearly says and there is absolutely no passage 
in the Scripture where human beings are able to give angels commands either in their own name or in the name of Jesus. There's no passage where man has control over the work of angels. Even Jesus did not even command angels to work for him while he was on earth. You remember when he was arrested and Peter drew the sword to defend him? You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 26? Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? Not, don't you think I can command these angels to come and deliver me? If that's what Christians are to do, why didn't Jesus do that? But he said, do you not think I can appeal to my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Also, you remember when Peter was in prison? And the night before he was to be beheaded, the church was praying for him, and an angel came, you remember, woke him up, broke off the chains, unlocked the doors, and took him out. And when the cold air hit his face, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. Not that that I sent angels forth to do this because I commanded them to do it. And you remember when he showed up at the house of Rhoda where the church had been praying and he was knocking on the door and she went to the door, the servant girl went to the door and said, Peter's out here. They didn't believe it. They didn't say, oh yeah, we sent the angels. We're not surprised he's here. We sent the angels to get him. No, they they had a hard time believing that he had even been delivered. So you don't see anywhere in Scripture, but you see they claim this new revelation. For 2,000 years, God's hid this from, from the church, but right now He's revealed that we are to take command over angels and tell them to do what we want them to do. But what the Scripture says is that angels only obey the command of God. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you His host, you who serve Him, doing His will. Now, these Word of Faith teachers take that verse and say, well, see, His word. So you, you can take the Bible and make them do what you want them to do. Now, that's not what that verse is saying at all. It's saying that the angels only respond to the voice of God, not to the voice of men. Now, you can ask God, God, I ask God, God, would you please station your mighty warrior angels around my house? Now, you can ask God to do it, but you talk to angels, they're not going to pay attention to you. You have no more influence over them than a gnat. I mean, they're there to obey the voice of God. They do minister to the saints, but they do so as God tells them to do, not as you tell them to do. They came and ministered to Jesus after His 40 days of temptation. But God sent them. The Father sent them. Jesus didn't command them to come. And so we need to leave angels with God. And don't you be trying to talk to them and tell them what you want them to do. 
That is a heresy, and that is one of the signs of false teachers. Notice also that they revile these majesties that even Michael, the archangel, did not rebuke the devil in verse 8. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, what's going on here? Well, it seems that, that when Moses died, the Scripture says God buried his body. Well, it seems that Satan wanted the body of Moses because he wanted, no doubt, to use it so the people would, would uh, worship Moses. You know, they were, they were bad about worshiping things they could see. And so the devil realized Moses was such a powerful leader that he could take Moses' body and somehow use it to get the people off of worshiping the true God. And so Michael, the archangel, rather than himself rebuking Satan, and many believe because Satan at once was the highest of the angels, that Michael recognized that and did not even take it upon himself to rebuke Satan, who at one time was the highest, but rather said, the Lord rebuke you, which is like saying, Lord, please rebuke him. And so it is the Lord who rebuked. In contrast to these false teachers who think they can tell angels what to do, not even Michael would do that. But he simply asked the Lord to do it. And so these false teachers not only revile angels, but they also revile the things they do not understand. Verse 10, but these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, that's their sexual urges, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. They talk about spiritual realities, but they're beyond their knowledge. They talk about angels, they talk about demons, but they don't know what they're talking about. They speak in ignorance. And they indulge their fleshly instincts. And it is by these that they are brought to ruination. Look in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. He's talking about these false teachers. Daring, self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord, but these like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. So how do you find out if that preacher you're listening to on TV if that preacher whose books you're reading, that preacher that you're listening to on the radio, how do you know if he's a true or false prophet? You must put him to the test. Does he disbelieve God's word? Does he place visions and dreams above God's word? Does he live a life of moral purity 
or is there impurity, sexual immorality in his life? And this may be hard to see if they're on the television. Is he under proper authority? Does he have a board of godly directors directing him? Has he placed himself willingly under some authority or is he the sole authority? Do they teach that they can command angels? Do they show a lack of reverence for God's created order? You must put them to the test. Because the danger is great. Let's pray. We do welcome you and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet and I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our minister of community connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.